Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I am a, a Black trans woman. My husband and I always knew we wanted to have kids. Hi, welcome to Town Hall, a Black queer podcast. The podcast where we journey through a theme by sharing stories, music, poetry, and art of varying depth and hilarity. Today's episode, Parenthood. Parenthood, mother. 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 Call me mother. Mother. Are you, are you, um, do people call you mother when they, when they see you in public? No, people on social media do call me mother. And then of course, uh, now that I have, it's so strange. I have drag children, but they're like more, they, they are my drag children, but they, they're just unconventional. I have no conventional real drag children, but I have lots of sort of like drag me. What you what? You're not my drag child. I know, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they're like sort of like you know, um, I you know, uh, almost like honorary drag children. But my yeah. but they call me mom, like not even mother, but like mom. Um, on you know out of respect in in public. You know what I don't like that's like popular right now? What, what is, is like auntie. I don't know why I don't like that. But I don't like it because people... it's becoming too okay, hear me out. I'm hearing. I like it. I like it because it feels like us and it feels like family. I don't like it because it's being just let there's too much of our stuff that's being like put out there for anybody to to just run a run amuck with and then it turns into some thing that's not and then everybody else is using it I mean, every, everyone's auntie everyone's auntie yeah. everyone's no, auntie everybody's not auntie honey <laughs> and i'm like and i'm also like like also it's weird now that like on tiktok everyone wants to be auntie hi it's me aunt so and so hi it's me aunt so and so auntie so and so and I'm like, why does everyone want, like, this is, so, this is so, and I grew up in one of those households where my mom, my mom was like, not adamantly against, but my mom did not believe in like play cousins. My mom did not believe in play, play si siblings. But like, like I had these cousins and certain cousins of mine would be like, oh, we're, si we're siblings. Like, you're my brother. You're my sister. And my mom would be like, that's not your brother. That's not your sister. That's your cousin. Her mom is my sister. She is not your sister. That is your cousin i also have young i have young cousins who are very young and i don't let them call me uncle because i'm like i'm not your uncle i'm your cousin now granted you are six <laughs> granted you are indeed a solid six years old and i am in my in my late 30s but i'm not your uncle i am your cousin you can you can just call me by my first name you don't need to call well, me i do uncle. think that um in 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 probably like Certain communities, uh, socioeconomically, the 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 title of the relationship doesn't necessarily reflect the um, nature of the the tradition, the nature of the relationship as it as it connects to like sort of traditional models. Like there are lots of siblings, brother, sister, whoever siblings, where the oldest one has to raise the youngest one as if as if 
they were their child yeah. because the parents are gone or because somebody's been removed. And I think in a lot of black uh, families, we've dealt with a lot of that in the United States more uh, of shifting around of these like sort of, sort of family dynamics, uh, especially with the very uh, intentional effort to criminalize and jail uh, our black men over the past 50 years. And so uh, then when you have certain people that are missing from that component, but the job still needs to be done, then it ends up happening. The, lots of people, regardless of being black or not, can understand like the grandmother that's raised someone as if they were their own yeah. child. And so my grandmother raises my my nephew. Yeah. My real so nephew. I think that like that ends up they that no ends shade up, to all my old cousins. If any of my young cousins are watching this or listening to this, I love me. you. I love you very much. Um, nigga, I ain't your motherfucking uncle. But I do think that it's it is it does feel it's an adjustment for me, because uh, we can't really control. Like we have to we have to accept accept that language is going to move and change, and people are going to use these different things. What the biggest adjustment I think for me is like the sayings that we have had as Black folk in our. I mean, there's just like that whole like culture that like isn't. I don't even know if it's a part of the culture, just stuff that feels like stuff that was in my family that my mom would say to me that I didn't know she was saying that other moms were also simultaneously yeah. saying to their children at the same time. And then now that we're adults, I look and you're, your mom said that too. Oh, and like, and then black Twitter is like, oh, we all said it, you know, like there was um, my mom, you know, like I brought you into this world. I'll take you out. I'll take you out. <laughs> yep. There was, one comedian, there was one comedian who said black moms, uh, they always curse you out, but do it twice and louder the seconds. I can't remember the comedian. Uh, he said they do it so they'll they'll go sit your ass down, sit your ass down, down. <laughs> slow and then loud and fast. Sit your ass down. Well, there's there. there sit I your think ass it's down. probably the same comic I saw on like the TikTok comedian, uh, TikTok comedian who I saw that was um saying. Uh, it was a probably it's like along those same lines or saying like your mom will like simultaneously refuse to do something and then curse you out while she agrees to doing it. Like, no, I ain't cooking you dinner. Go in the back and bring me the, the pizza. I'll heat it up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I take I, um, no, I ain't signing the uh, I am letting you go on that field trip. Give me the damn pen. and I'll sign the thing. Yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> So, okay, I feel like because queer people now, we are, a lot has changed in legislation. We are now being asked of a, from every direction, from all people in the community and out of the community, if we're going to get married and if we're going to have kids. I feel like people weren't asking us that so much back in the day if we're going to have kids. Now people are like yeah. asking us, are you are you going to have, because I say, you know, millennials are really the, the first uh, group of queer people to get marriage equality when they were, when I was, I was young. I was like twenty. Through, no, I'm okay. I'm not that young. I was maybe like 25. <laughs> Drag 25, yourself. 26. Drag yourself. When, when when marriage equality passed in New York, so that was the age where I was like, it's, I could really get married. I could really have kids. It felt like like very real for me. Um, and I have softened on the idea of children. I was I I I say I am now uh 60 40. 64. I could have kids. 40% and I probably will not actually have children. I mean, obviously there were so many barriers to us being able to have kids, you know, and even envision that sort of thing. At least for me, you know, like when I was a young adult or like early twenties, you know, I wasn't even thinking about like marriage wasn't even on, you know, like yeah. let alone trying to find a partner who I wanted or would want to marry me. But like, it just was obviously le things weren't legal. And so, you know, 
I think, and there there was obviously a concerted effort, especially, I mean, really prior to, to marriage equality, like the, the, the connection of marriage does provide a really huge barrier to couples wanting that want to adopt or raise kids or different things like that. And so I think once we were able to get marriage equality for, for same-sex couples, you know, I think then all of a sudden it made it so much, you could envision the fam, the traditional family unit, um, you know, in a household, two parents and then some kids. Uh, and prior to that, for real, at least in my experience, like the gay male uh, uh, sort of lifestyle that I saw, I was living in New York, which is different um, or like very specific, but the gay male lifestyle really just involved going to work, get, earning a lot of money and then spending it at the party. And, yeah. you know, that was pretty much it. And so folks really having or raising kids, except for the, there, there were certainly um, gay couples that I knew um, that were um, sort of like, it would be like a gay couple and a lesbian couple. And like, they would have ki- cross, have kids, you know what I mean? Like father or mother. I, the would, children raise, I would raise each other. I would raise kids with a lesbian couple with the right lesbian couple. I would raise kids for sure. I honestly kind of into this idea of like communal a community parenting? raising a child. Like I'm into this idea of like a kid. I know it sounds very. I mean, granted, I am. I am as like liberal and like left as they can. They come. People, I'm sure would, would imagine. But like the idea of like of several people raising a child sounds like so much love. Um, it does sound like a lot of ideas put on one kid. It's true. That sounds like a. <laughs> raised by one person like yeah. i had my mom so i i did I, I i never understood the idea of like having to go between like like you know your mom says no so you ask your dad your dad says no so you ask her i never had that yeah, i asked if, one uh, person could you imagine if the no. community was raising you're like oh i can't have candy we'll see about that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, used to, I used to ask one person if she said no that was kind that of was the, the end, end of the story, story. Like, yeah I just it was have it, it was not possible yeah, I used to but, do that to my grandparents who I who were partially raised. Did you? Oh, did, not you playing all sides of the field. I would play. I, I mean, I couldn't do it with everything, but like I mm-hmm. knew who to ask first, you know, and I knew exactly how to frame it. <laughs> <laughs> Grandma, I just would really love some candy. <laughs> <laughs> or no, can I please um, have a really nutritious meal on the school uh, trip to Paris? <laughs> And um, so I think that um, I think that now black queer people and, and also not not just now, there's a lot of obviously a lot of black queer people who have been parents for a long time. We're going to hear from some people who have, who are not uh, spring chickens um, who've been parents for <laughs> quite some time. <laughs> have you never heard the expression spring chicken? What? You never heard the expression spring chicken? Girl, I know the expression. I'm reacting oh. to the fact that you're calling these people not spring chickens. Well, I, I'm trying to find a, a, a way to say that it's not Here's calling one. people old. They're a little long in the tooth. You're trying. Well, I didn't say. I did not say long in the tooth. I didn't. I didn't say long in the tooth. I. I. You know, whenever I describe uh, age, I, I. I. I do sometimes say long in the tooth, and I. And I do this. Have you ever done that? With like jowls, uh, also, pointing to jowls. It, it's just a thing that I've people do. Like, well, she's a little, you know. Or someone goes, "I'm getting a little." Okay, no, I've never are, heard of that expression. Tell, but I'm it, taking it, I mean, it fingers. must mean turkey neck jowls. Yeah, I'm taking two fingers. I'm trying to describe. Take two fingers, your your pointer finger and your middle finger, and you grab the other three fingers all together, and then right um underneath your chin, you just slap 
the the skin under your chin, and it means older. So when sometimes I'm getting a little. That means that means they're getting old. I don't, it's kind of like this universal symbol I've seen that I've just adopted over the years. Anyway, <laughs> that being said, today's subject is parenthood. So our first story is um is really interesting. First of all, uh, they're, they're a black Irish person, which I, I think is more rare than a, a leprechaun uh, at this point. Um, and they are trying to um trying in vitro fertilization with their partner, um, to have a baby, uh, two uteruses, two uteri, two wombs, trying to create life. So let's hear from Ren. So my name is Ren Riano. I'm based in Dublin, Ireland. I am co-founder of Origins Ella, which is a black queer organization slash arts collective. Uh, I'm a DJ, a writer, a mentor, a mess maker. <laughs> I grew up in Ireland and I was homeschooled. So hence the funky accent. Uh, grew up on Nickelodeon. I think that didn't help and maybe did help in some ways. Mostly moved around Dublin a lot, so lived in Rathmines for a little bit, which is like quite close to the city centre over here. And then for the rest of the time that I've like moved around as a child and as an adult, I've lived by the sea because we are an island, so it's hard to get away from the sea. Um, so yeah, it's been a it's been a tidal wave of an upbringing, but here I am. <laughs> I was always different, <laughs> for sure, but I don't know. Did I have access to the language of like queerness? Sort of the entry point for me was like through friends who were really confident in their knowledge of their own sexuality and sort of bringing me through, holding my hand through my coming out, which wasn't really a coming out, it was just me showing up one day to a party with a woman. And that was that. The rest is kind of history. But there wasn't this like innate knowledge because I, I think for a lot of people like I always knew you know deep within myself but for me I think um because I grew up quite religious as well there was I think um if anything there was this innate there has to be something more and for me the something more was like queerness <laughs> actually and like the world uh through a queered lens now I'm trying to navigate the sort of IVF system uh, here with my partner in Ireland who is Irish um, we're not married so there's a it's very complicated and there's a part of me that wishes that I could just I don't know do it like the L word and just find someone with some sperm and be like thank you very much let's go because uh, yeah I guess just in the like journey to becoming myself and trusting myself more and um breaking ancestral trauma cycles learning new like forms of care etc 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 um the that decision hasn't been something that's like taken lightly of okay let's bring another human into the world right uh, so i've been with my partner for a very long time and uh i would say actually our formative queered years have been together so we've We've kind of, you know, at the start when we first got together, it's like, oh, you know, maybe, but also maybe not. And now we're at a, a point in our relationship where they're like, definitely, kids are 100%, small humans, small people are 100% going to be a part of um, our journey together. Um, so we we were looking up things and obviously like the 
the algorithm that be Google uh, must have seen this and said, hey, I'm going to start giving you loads of targeted ads for IVF, which was great and also not great because my thing is now completely fucked. <laughs> Sorry for the language, but Paddy's day. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's completely fucked. And uh, we got a thing came up on our on our Google and I think it was like a free, you know, come to this thing and get like a free IVF clinic thing, like checkup, like consultation type thing. So we go to the consultation. It's like super simple. Um, we don't really talk too much about fees. And then I sign up to this like Medicare website. That's not the name of the website, by the way. But it's something, some sort of medical care website that's like linked to this IVF clinic. So I'm kind of in the in the space of doing a lot of research into uh, what is the easiest way to to get a kid that's not so much financial stress. So we went home, looked at the prices, Lord, Lord, <laughs> Lord, <laughs> like a, a loan, multiple loans. We will be taking multiple. Like we're already going to be in debt. So. I guess I'm coming at this right from a point of privilege as well. I need to say that in Ireland we have free healthcare. Um, free doesn't mean it's great. It's very bad. It's uh, it's very like if I if I broke my arm right now and went to the hospital, just to give you an idea of how bad our healthcare system is. If I broke my arm now and went to the hospital, I could be waiting like 14 to 16 hours before I'm seen. Uh, yeah on a trolley in a hallway like we have it's abysmal it's abysmal you can google it's it's it checks out it's pretty bad so yeah not great not 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 the best of times so free but also long waiting lists um not great uh there's like barriers to access when it comes to that sort of more because I guess they're considering IVF as like a you know it's for the privileged <laughs> it's for IVF in Ireland is like you you only get that if you if you've got money 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 yeah it's a class thing there's like financial barriers um and then the ones that are sort of lower priced are honestly for the straights honestly they're for the straights because the the way that it it's approached is from a like oh let's look at your it you know your partner with sperm and you with a uterus and see how this can work so anyway we saw the prices and we're like okay lord uh full disclosure my partner is 35 and the clinic that we went to they essentially were like okay so you're 35 so you need to freeze your eggs now <laughs> you need to freeze your eggs now now my mom you know and various uh women in my family uterus holding peoples in my family I should say even have been having kids like well into their 40s so there's this maybe I'm delusional actually you know what I'm just gonna fully say I am delusional I think I am living in a sense of delusion around this where I'm like it'll happen it'll just happen but I'm feeling it creep in I'm like I'm in my late 20s and it's definitely creeping in I'm like oh my god any day now my sack is gonna be like I'm done I'm finished it's over 
the train has passed. <laughs> and that's what I'm kind of terrified about. <laughs> so that's what has also started this is uh, that sense of like impeding fear. The alternative method would be, so this is this is the the thing, right? In Ireland, if we were to go through the alternative methods legally, not great, because then the 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 donor <laughs> has a lot of rights. So, you know, we're a Catholic country. And so that is very much reflected in our law, even though the uh a lot of like the sort of uh, Catholicisms in our like governmental system has been uh, extinguished or is in the process of being like pulled out and renewed and repealed and changed uh, that doesn't still mean that it hasn't left like a lasting effect on our medical system and how our laws are placed on families and like um, uh, nuclear families so if I was to go the other route, honestly, you know, I would just get a friend and be like, hey, turkey baster, hello, friend, let's, let's do this. Um, so yeah, but then in the long run, it's not great because that person could come back and be like, hi, hi, that's my kid. G- give me that. I'll take that out. This thing you grew and like nurtured, I'm just gonna let's go to court and battle it out and I'm probably gonna have more rights than you because I'm straight (laughs) or I'm married with like two other kids so the odds are not in my favor so I guess I'm yeah currently trying to navigate the system figure out all the options right now we've landed on IVF and we're we're looking at like 2025 2026 it's like something that we're having to work towards but then I don't know, like there's this thing in me as well that I'm like, I could get there and it's 2026. I'm like, suddenly my relationship looks different or my state of affairs looks different. It's all very, um, I don't know. There's like a sense of urgency around it. And then there isn't because of the financial impediment of it. So yeah, but my partner, they are adamant that they're not going to carry. Um, So it would be me. But I'm like, baby, you're vegan and like, don't drink and don't smoke and don't do any like, you know, spicy things. It should be you. But yeah, no, I respect, I respect it. I respect her. I mean, our lifestyles are completely different, even though we've been together so long. Like, again, DJing, right? Or like a lot of late night work. That means that I'm, I I feel like maybe my body's age is the same age as theirs I don't know there's a little bit of pressure on my uh, uterus <laughs> to be the one to create the life but um I think it's going to be my egg as well so double pressure so it, if we haven't gotten to the stage of like actively doing the IVF treatments and stuff because they're in they're in the like six to ten grand uh, price range just for IVF so I'm like oh gosh <laughs> it's a lot of money um and I think in my head as well I'm approaching it in a very uh, pragmatic way where I'm like I need to reach these goals before I start putting my body through this like currently I'm learning to drive and I'm like I can't I can't do this until I've finished learning to drive but I mean maybe I'm just making excuses for myself as well right um 
so I don't know. Yeah. But my partner, my partner is super supportive and they're like, listen, I'll rub your feet. I'll do whatever, whatever we need to do. is Cyan Linux. I am from Boston, Massachusetts. Been living in LA for nine years now. I am a DJ, producer, and I also work in tech. I came from a pretty diverse um, queer background. Um, my mom was, you know, is queer as well. So for me, it was um, pretty normal. And also, Mama had a lot of queer friends. So as a young kid, being around that was just really normal for the most part. I came up to my mom when I was like 16. She was just like, her, her response to it was like, oh, honey child, I already knew. <laughs> so that was more, mostly my coming out story of like coming out to her and she already knowing and embracing it. But I don't, I don't know why I was nervous or scared of, of coming out, coming from an op- pretty open family. I think it was the world and also being a black gay man. You already have one prejudice against you, but also having that. My mom was in the, in the army for 10 years. So when she decided to, to move back to Boston, um, after she, you know, she found out that I was gay, she made it a point. She was, you know, doing a lot of research and she, um, really uh, pushed me into joining a queer uh, POC like youth group um, called Glass in Boston. Um, So that really also pushed me into my identity. Going to Glass, you know, not everyone had the embrace of being queer. People went there for community and for support and did they have like a lot of great support systems there you know hearing what they were going through and their parents you know denying them or kicking them out of the house um my mom was always that savior of that person because i've had plenty of friends where the parents would kick them out the house and and my mom was just like okay you could stay at my house until you get get back onto your feet Um, you know, my mom was just like the best. My mom is my best friend. We talk on the phone every single day. Um, yeah, we, we definitely have a bond because, you know, my, my mom was a single parent, you know, she was working three jobs. Um, I remember her, you know, going to, um, community college and, you know, she didn't have a babysitter. So she was like, okay, well, here's some coloring books and I'll be in class with her. You know, she she was she's been through a lot. You know, there there was times where we went into a shelter and then my mom was just like, yeah, I got to do something about this. And she joined the army and that really changed her her life um, because she was like, hey, you know, I got to put food in my my kid's mouth. And my dad was never really in the picture. My dad was, you know, an alcoholic. So my mom, you know, left that situation. And then um, when she left that, we went into a shelter and then um, and then we, you know, got housing and then my mom, you know, got my mom got back onto her feet and stuff. But yeah, it's crazy because, you know, last January she he passed away. 
So, um, so it was, it was weird. It, I did go to his funeral, but it was so strange because I didn't know my dad. Um, but looking at the photos and stuff, I, I could see he looks like a spitting image of me when I was a kid. And my, my mom was was my dad and my mom. <laughs> and, and when you're a kid, you're so young and innocent and, and you're just like, oh, OK, you're not sitting here. Like when you're raised with like queer parents, you're not sitting there questioning like, oh, what's going on there? I think you just become a lot more just open minded and acceptance of all types of people. There's some fierce ass black women. <laughs> um, fierce, strong black women. Be, you know, being raised and seeing my mom and seeing all the stuff that she went through, I'm just like, you know what? This is a cakewalk. If she can do it, I can do it. Okay, so our next story is from Miss Precious Brady Davis. Uh, she and her husband, Miles, have uh, brought two beautiful children into this world. And uh, you may have heard their story uh, being covered because they are both, uh, in addition to being fabulous uh, parents and wonderful uh, activists and um, and speakers and educators, they're both of trans experience, which is really uh, sort of a special and particular set of stories. And Precious is an author and, as I said, an activist and an advocate. And so um, I think you're really going to enjoy this. Let's take a listen. My name is Precious Brady Davis. I am a wife, mother, author of the memoir, I Have Always Been Me. By day, I work in communications at the Sierra Club. I work on a campaign called Beyond Coal that works to retire coal plants and advocate for renewable and clean energy. I also am a community activist, philanthropist. It goes on and on. Intersectional diva. <laughs> I am a mother of two, Zane, who is three, and Zion, who is one month old. And they are the joy of my life. Uh, Zion is a recent addition. So as you see, I'm sighing. I'm learning of like what it, <laughs> like what it is to, to manage too. But it, it's such a joy. But because I am so busy, like this moment of my life, I'm so glad to be spending it with them. I'm on parental leave until July. And I just am spending time uh, with with my family, uh, raising you know these these first days with with Zion are are so special. Um, and Zane is in the stage where she's a three major. Uh, she's three, going on nineteen, uh, and she's she's just like me. She's like my twin. Uh, I am a, a black trans woman. Uh, my husband and I always knew once we got together that we wanted to have kids. It was one of the first conversations that we had together. We did IVF. Uh, my husband is a transmasculine person. He carried both of our, our children. Both of them are storied journeys of how they arrived here. The, the process was like very difficult um, just because they both were IVF babies. And so we went through uh, the, the, the process 
um, with that. And there's never any prom there's never any promises uh, with that. Both of them had challenges um, in in the process. Folks, I, I feel like there's so many stereotypes of regarding pregnancy in general that so many people say, oh, it should be like this happy time. But you are, go to these appointments and they're looking for something to be wrong. And that that was something uh, that was like very scary for me. But it was uh, a joy to do that as a trans couple for us to create family. That's ex- extremely important to us. Just seeing him carrying our child, I would just see him and say, you look so cute. You know, whether it was him wearing a pair of overalls just kind of like accentuating his bump uh just seeing him navigate the world just confident uh we went to to disneyland uh for our baby moon in october and it was just so beautiful celebrating our family being able to go on a a vacation together i grew up extremely poor and going to disney would not have been something that would have ever um, been in in the picture. So to be able to take our family, my pregnant husband, my three year old toddler, uh, to to Disneyland, that was just uh, a really beautiful time um, for us to be together when he was pregnant. Starting from our IVF doctor, they were extremely. Su- we had a very supportive team uh, to support us in our process. I mean, there was like the occasional nurse you know, who would come in and be shocked, you know, you know, that Miles, you know, is a man, you know, that we were a trans couple, um, a couple of uncomfortable like experiences, right? We like work through it. But I do think that we do believe in grace, right? Uh, I think we believe in intentions, right? Like we, we trust that people have uh, good intentions. Folks are always learning. So we didn't always chalk it up to, oh, that was a transphobic you know, experience. We do understand that not everyone, you know, knows that trans men, you know, want to be pregnant and enjoy being pregnant, that there's joy, you know, around being identified as a a man, you know, and carrying uh, a baby. And so I do think there was a couple uncomfortable situations with the nurse here or there where you would get a a scowl from me kind of <laughs> across from the room of don't try it, <laughs> you know, uh, or like the occasional, like there might've been like a misgendering when they were talking to me about something and they said she, and there would be he, thank you, uh, with with grace and, and in love. Um, but I felt like we had a, a very supportive team from the, the time that, you know, Zane was born, our doctor was a lesbian, uh, Zion was delivered by a black woman, a powerhouse black woman who really cared for both Miles and I uh, and were really attuned to his care. Uh, and in particularly the, the first time, um, yeah, Miles, uh, it was a very complicated delivery. Um, and I thought that he was going to die um, as I literally watched uh, my partner um, bleed and unstoppable. Uh, and so that was a new me understanding the mortality um, issue. And the thanks to the quick care of our doctor being attuned to listening to him uh, and being um, present um, and taking care of his, his health care. You know, he's here today. 
Miles and I are blessed beyond measure because we live in the great state of Illinois, the land of Abraham Lincoln, the land of equality. Uh, we have strong folks who are elected officials who believe in LGBT equality, who believe in affirming health care, who believe in the right to choose, who believe in access and uh, ownership of one's body, that someone has the ownership to make the decisions uh, of what happens uh, to their body, that they believe in trans affirmative health care. And in particular, there's not to say, so I am kind of blessed because I live in Chicago. And within Illinois, uh, Chicago is kind of its own progressive enclave. I mean, there have been situations, you know, where folks are, you know, fighting drag, you know, on the outskirts, like in the suburbs, they're protesting drag story hour, story time hour. Um, there are situations, you know, where uh, trans education and young kids transitioning is becoming uh, an, an issue and it is being protested. And that's why Miles and I do speak out, you know, and we have uh, changed Illinois history. Uh, so Miles and I were the first trans couple to be recognized as the gender that we are on a birth certificate. So when Zane was born, we petitioned the state for us to be properly documented as our genders and the state agreed. Uh, and so now any other trans person that comes after us, they can be identified on, uh, the birth, on a birth certificate how they identify. Uh, and so Illinois is a great state where I do think that progress does uh, reign supreme. That doesn't mean that there aren't, you know, the the memories of bigotry. You know, it's it's sad to see. I was born and raised in Omaha, Nebraska, and I'm am seeing what's happening on the periphery there. Seeing them trying to bring these bills, like they're doing across the country. You know, of banning drag, banning gender affirming care, and it's just, you know, it's like so hard for me because I'm one. My place, like in the movement, I think I deeply understand like my role. Uh, also by day as a communications person, I feel like you know when it's time to amplify something and you know when not to amplify something. You know, and, and part of this, part of the conversation is the echo chamber, right? And I think the distraction, you know, it is the, the messaging of the, the, on the fringe of who they're trying to reach out to for the 2024 campaign. And they're trying to get people riled up. Like this is the issue. This is what's taking away your rights. This is what's making us, taking us backwards as a country. And I completely refute that. And so it's hard for me to magnify it. I feel like there are ways, you know, in which I support, right, donating to youth organizations, you know, uh, signing on, you know, sharing our experience, you know, when it comes to various court cases um, around the country, uh, which with Miles and I have done uh, for several bills fighting these things. I'm just saying that we are normal people. We are people who desire love. We are people who want to be affirmed. We believe in family. You know, Miles and I are parents. <laughs> we get up and we go to work every day. I go to the grocery store. I'm not asking for any special privilege. I'm asking to have safety when I walk down the street, you know, and I just think it just is a shame, you know, to see trans people become uh, a part of the front line of the culture wars as a distraction, in particular for the 2024 campaign, you know, uh, 
And when I, I see what's going on with like the banning of books and the banning of, it just, it's just ridiculous. I don't know where I would be if I did not have experienced drag as a young person. I mean, from seeing Andrew DeMachinard and Rent, you know, the musical, to seeing a local drag queen perform at a Pride, uh, at a Pride event when I was 16 years old. I think when people see themselves reflected, they say, I can be that too. You know, there's a, a freedom. I think that, that's ultimately what this is a, a battle. This is a battle about freedom. And part of my life's work is about authenticity, letting people be their most authentic self. I grew up in foster care uh, for, for much of my life, and I deeply understood what it was to be rejected. And obviously as a trans person and coming out, as someone who had multiple coming outs uh, in my life, it's like I understand in, in my life, I understand what that rejection feels like. So that's like the basis like of my motherhood that, you know, that as a child, you know, I didn't feel unconditionally loved. And so I love my child unconditionally. I think as a child, discipline was at the, the core of any kind of parenting that was steered towards me. Uh, it was steered in, in a way of fear, you know, don't do that out of fear, you know, instead of letting me know, like, this is for your care. Uh, when I am talking to my daughter about something or I'm educating her, I'm saying this is about safety, right? If she's doing something that could injure her safety, uh, it's about affirming her. Tell me, how do you feel? Can, use your words. Can you use your words? I felt like I was stifled. My words were stifled as a child. It was, uh, don't refute what I say. It's like my way or the highway. And I was like, no, I have a right to be heard. <laughs> like uh, I, I was silenced as a child. And so I don't want to silence um, my child. It would never be, be quiet. It would never be, no, stop. It, that's not what it would be. You know, so I feel like there's an openness um, that I think it's influenced uh, my parenting in that way. There's also a flexibility of <laughs> sometimes I'm like, okay, you know, so, so for example, Miles, his mom, she is like a child psychologist. So she has like very trained ways in terms of like her experience, her education tells her there are very straight ways of how you raise children. And so my child, I'm like, okay, you would like lemonade? Yes, you may have lemonade. And she would be like, no, there's too much sugar in that. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? So, you know, there's like a flexibility of like a new generation. Um, I also believe um, in, in creativity. Uh, and I'm always playing with her, uh, you know, as a trans person, you know, growing up in the arts, growing up, uh, you know, experiencing performance so she she takes dance i mean she's oh my gosh she loves to perform um she loves to play she plays the piano uh i'm kind of scared just because uh there are members of my family who are djs like she loves to like put on a pair of headphones and a microphone i'm like no please don't i'm like no please don't take that don't take that part of the family please i don't want you working in nightclubs your whole life um but <laughs> but um i feel like no there's it's really rooted in unconditional love seeing my daughter play on the beach just like in the sand just like me just like being there with her and seeing like the pure joy that she has like in those moments 
of just like me sitting next to her and we're just like building, playing with toys, you know, building molds like of sand. It just like, it's the happiness that I feel seeing her happy makes me happy. And I think that's when I feel like a mom most of like being able to provide that care, that, that safety for her. I love taking my daughter to school as a trans mom. And that was something like I was super nervous about when we were putting Zane into school. Like we did like a full interview. Uh, and I'll never forget when we went to go interview, there was a firm sticker on the door. And I was like, yes, they're LGBTQ friendly, but are they trans friendly? And so it's been a really beautiful journey. Like I have mom friends at the school, you know, we go out for, for cocktails. They're super affirming, you know, well, Zane schools is very diverse in, in general, but just, uh, dropping her off at school, seeing her learn, you know, being able to provide that for her, uh, that makes me feel like a, a mom too. So I am an institutionalist at heart and I have the ability to create change in institutions. Uh, I often enter institutions and I leave them better than I found them. I often can enter an institution and fight for progressive change and fight for a lot of the issues uh, that I believe in. And I, everyone can't work in institutions, but it is a, a gift that I have. Uh, I have the ability to to bring people along with me. That That's a part of... Uh, uh, of my work. Like there are some people who are the march, right? I've done that. I've been the feet in the chant. Uh, the, some people are the protest. I've been the protest. Um, but I feel like I make the most change, you know, by working in institutions. And for me, I say that like my legacy, I literally think about living in the legendary lane. And I'm not even joking, like when I say that, like I believe in legacy. Uh, I believe in honor. I believe in dignity. You know, I often say like when I had the name, the chance to rename myself, I renamed myself precious because growing up, I heard everything but that, you know, it was that, you know, given that I was a queer child, you know, that I was different. You know, I heard that I was just like the abomination of my family growing up, you know, in a faith group telling them, telling me that I was going to go to hell, that I needed to get saved. You know, like I would be at altars crying like every week being like, God, like, take this away from me. Like, I want to be, you know, loved, loved by God. And when I found that self-love, my whole life just changed. And so for me, it's really about like the legacy and my legacy is my children. So if Zane and Zion, if they have a great education, they have a safe home, they feel loved and affirmed, that, then Miles and I have done our job. And, and long after I'm no longer here, they will be here. Uh, and so my legacy is, is my children. I would say for, for parents, it's important that your work is rooted in love. And it's rooted in affirming love, unconditional love. Uh, and that unconditional love happens in different times. There might be something, there might be a time where you're reminded the unconditional love when your house 
becomes turned upside down the second you clean it. The second you see like a glass of juice spill all over a, a floor, <laughs> the second when you like need to go and your child like throws himself like on the ground, you know, reminding you that they are their own person and that they don't move on your timeline. Um, <laughs> those are all moments to which you see like unconditional love. Um, and I would encourage folks who feel, who feel they have the capacity folks who have love to give uh, to be to be a parent. And like I said, it's not just in one way, right? Whether you want to raise kids in your home, whether it's volunteering at a community center, whether it's like being like a big brother or a big sister, like spending time. I just think that young people are worthy of uh, the investment. My memoir is I Have Always Been Me. It's available on Amazon. It was published by Top One Amazon Books. And I Have Always Been Me tells a story of a young biracial gender non-conforming child who fashioned a shinier mold for themselves than was provided. Authenticity has always been the story of my life. It has been at the root of what I've been able to proclaim as precious uh, and ultimately becoming a self-fulfilling pro- prophecy of becoming precious. I've always been the person that I am today, even amongst conversations uh, about trans is now people are like oh this is like such like a modern thing suddenly kids are like transitioning or like taking like hormones no i was four years old and i told my grandmother that i was a girl and she told me not to ever say that again i always had this ability to say no i am not that i am precious uh and i deserve to be seen and heard and thus i have always been me so Pep, I, I want to tell you a little bit. I'm really excited to have uh, these next two people on the podcast. Um, so, you know, I was um, I was I was raised by a village, and my uncle Steve is one of the people who helped raise me. I, I famously talked about my uncle Steve on <laughs> on the RuPaul's Drag Race, and um, and my cousin Trelena, who is his daughter. Um, they're both really fun. They're both, uh, and my uncle Steve, baby, if you wonder why I, where I get the gift of gab, when you meet my family, you will realize <laughs> we be talking, <laughs> baby, the Caldwell's be talking. So, um, this is, so this is a story of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a gay man and his daughter. This is my uncle Steve and my cousin, Joanne. My name is Steve Caldwell. I got to a point in my life where I realized that, um, that I, I geared toward me and more so than I did. Women go through the journey of, of acceptance, you know, um, and also I continue to have other people in my life because my daughter's mother, she was my friend before she was ever my girlfriend. So that was a, a confidant, someone I could share my experience. I feel comfortable sharing things I was going through or had went through. I also had, um, about with drugs and alcohol too so those are coping mechanisms for me to build to maneuver through my life i gain acceptance as well so in that aspect i again Atlanta allowed me to have my first real queer relationship with a, uh, a guy and um and in aspect of having that that's when i brought my daughter into my life my daughter was i think ninth ninth grade or 10th grade, somewhere in there. Um, and me and um, my friend David was together. And, and that's what I found then that this is where I need to be. This is where I'm feeling love. This is where I can connect. 
and deal with a whole lot of things. You know, because at that time too, I was I had been diagnosed with HIV as well, and I have been living with that now uh, 42 years. You know, but uh, in the in the midst of that, that all brought everything into clarity for that relationship. Trulina, do you do you remember this? Um, yeah, it was a lot because it's like you know I you I heard a few little things growing up. You know, just being around of who my father was supposed to be. But one thing about him, he always told me what was going on. Like, he actually came to me. I was, like, about 13 years old, and he had been home here in Mississippi visiting, and he told me that he was gay. Like, he came out and told me that he was gay. He told me about him being HIV, and it was, like, a lot to to like kind of process at the time, but because he was so honest with me and he allowed me to share my feelings with him, I was that person that from the moment starting to research about the HIV, about gay life. And so the more he showed me, the more he shared with me, I was able to accept it and move forward. But I, it made me want to have more time with him, not because he was queer, but because it was something different from any other relationships that I was having with people because I wanted to better understand my father because he wasn't in my life the whole time. I was raised by my stepfather. And then at this point, my dad's coming back into my life and he gave me the opportunity to be able to share with me what was going on with him. And then it just, it just set off from there. found out I was HIV positive on the latter part of 81 going into 82. I began to cry um, because I um, I was in a, around people that um that I saw was dying at that time. I was scared. I was fear in fear, but um by the grace of God, He blessed me to be a part of a, a group called Our Our Common Welfare. And in the midst of, of that, I began to be a part of that, and I was elevated in that support group because um, they saw the potential in me that I, I didn't mind talking about me. I was open with whatever was dealing with me. I would go on panels there at Morehouse and talk about um, living with it because talking about it, it didn't it took away the stigma for me, and it took away the fear of death, you know, um, and what I was seeing. But it also set me up to be able to do a better taking care of force, health-wise, take care of myself, l learn how to know what the resume was. And at that time, they couldn't regulate Crixavan uh, and the um, the other. I can't um, can't think of it right now. But anyway, it was one that was uh, they it was geared toward white men. And um, and it, more of them worked better with there because that's what they did to study with. And he did a group of black people. And um, it was horrible because it changed with the colors of my nails. It uh, dealt with my skin a little bit, um, the side effects. But um, I made it through that and got into some studies. That's what helped me as well, getting to volunteer myself to be a part of studies, to be able to help. And then also um, knowing that my child was growing up, to talk about it with her and also. Um, began to tell her what to do, 
because I knew me and I felt my daughter is, is, is um, a part of me, I began to educate her. It was always him saying, no gloves, no love. So he would always tell me, you remember, no gloves, no love. It was always that fear that maybe my father wouldn't be here. He wouldn't be able to see me um, walk across the aisle in, in high school. You know what I'm saying? Or he wouldn't be able to be uh, to take me down the aisle or anything. Those was, that was my fear. So it was always uh, for me to try to get myself wherever my dad was, I would try to follow so that I could get that time. He was always who he was. You know what I'm saying? He's always been clear to that to me. Like for me, it kind of blocked me out from anybody else because I didn't really care what everybody else thought of him. He was my dad. I felt like it brought us closer together for sure. I know it helped me be a better father because I didn't, I wanted to guard her from any of the pain on whatever way she went. You know, I guard her from the pain of society, you know, because society before they, uh, I would always tell them, people, you know, don't let, I can tell it better, I can tell my story to you better than anyone else can. You know, uh, ask me, I don't have a problem because I'm going to tell you who I am. You know, I can't hide nothing from God, so I ain't trying to hide nothing from you. That was just my point of view. And and to embrace her was just to be able to always let her know that um, me sharing what I shared with her, I could feel the love. You hear me? Because um, I knew the times that I cried because now that I'm better and I'm living, I knew how to, I knew how to be a, a father to her. And I knew how to be a protector. It's something that I, that um, drugs and things sometimes took me away from. So I wouldn't have to think about what I wasn't doing. As a father as a gay man, what I bring to the table is uh, under her knowing that it's okay. You don't have to be a macho man uh, in your, all the time. I don't have to be. I can be me. I can be loving. I can be caring and not fear what society may think. If I want to talk to him about something, he's always been a listening ear. And I've been able to, you know, just the same way, give him the same thing that he I give him. He gave me that platform to be able to say everything I'm thinking with no judgment. You can't tell someone they can't be a father because it takes more than just the person's, uh, like I said, whether they're female or male or whatever they are, they can, it's a love. Love is a, parenting is love. Love is parenting. That's all you need to do that is being able to protect and love someone and provide. The things that he may not have been able to give me when I was younger, he has definitely given it to my children. He's been a great grandfather and still a loving father. And like you said, it hadn't been an easy road, but it has been. I wouldn't trade the journey. I would not. The gay is not what's loving you. It's my spirit, my love for you, my that things that my features I see in you that that draws me near and want to be the best father I can be in this present time. Because I can't go back and change nothing in the past, but I can make it better, the present and the future better for my child. Know what you would want to give that child. If you had the child, what is it that, ask them to ask themselves, what if I had a child, 
what is it I want to give them of me? You know, and go past just you. What I want to to do? I want to. I have so much love I want to give. You, if you can show that love that that we're talking about, if you can be able to listen to the kid, hear them, you can mold whatever you need to be. You know, like we talk about God shaking and molding us to be better humans and having that humility to be able to um, show that love to someone. It's all about communication. You know, you have to be able to communicate with the kid because there's, they're going to have so many things against them in this world. And it's only you and that relationship that you have with that parent who's going to be able to drive the vehicle for you to be the best human you can be. Uh, what I love about being a father to a daughter, being able to um, give her some things that was never given me, the attention that I loved, wanted and desired from my father, um, to be able to know that I do have something to offer. And I never would have known that had not we had the opportunity to be together. I love his, I love his transparency. Uh, I love the fact that he is, he just has so much knowledge and so much love that he gives me, you know. He just, he's, he's amazing to me. You know, even my lens, I said I wasn't going to get emotional, but <clears throat> he he is just he's amazing to me. Sometimes he he can be a little nerve wracking, but I love him. You know he's mine. He can do that. Um, but at the same time, I just love how he loves me. I I love the fact that he allows me to be me and sees me for me. That's hard sometimes having people see you for you with no judgment, and that's what he does for me. And it's the best gift he could ever gave me. So, Pep, you having kids or not? Are you convinced now that we've done a whole episode? You want to have some kids? Me and you, we would actually raise a really cute... You and I would raise a child together very well, I think. I think we would. I, I do. Yeah. The kid would be bicoastal. The kid yeah, would be smart. They would definitely have to be. Right. And for everyone listening, we're saying bicoastal. We're not saying the child has to be bisexual. We're not dictating the child's gender or sexuality. We are no, saying we, bicoastal. Pep, I am. I'm my, I, will, I will not be raising a straight child. There, let me tell you right now. If I, let me tell you right now, baby. If I have a child, you have to come out as straight. You're going to learn you the do, ways. You're going to have to leave <laughs> out as straight, too. You can come out as straight. You're going to leave out as straight. Find your way in these streets, honey. I'll be damned if I have a straight man living in my house. Imagine, imagine <laughs> <laughs> disrupting my peace in my own home, a straight man. You better be non-binary or something. <laughs> oh no, you better have so you better at least be something. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think that I might be a little too bitchy. Old to have kids too old to have kids. Only because I think of how old I related to where my mother was. When where did your mother me. have child? Chill. My mother was age? twenty. My mother was twenty two when she had my brother, mm -hmm. twenty four when she had me. So my mother was in her early twenties, and when I graduated high school, my mother was like forty one years yeah. old. Yeah, my mom was not even. My mom had me when she was nineteen, and so your mom was in her thirties when you graduated high school. Yeah, my mom was in her thirties when I graduated. So if you were your mom, you would have an adult child right now. Um, can you even fathom that? Oh, yeah. If I were her, 
You Wait, have what? an adult. And a, if she, you were my your mom, mother. I'm an adult and so is my mom. What? Yeah, if you were your mother right now, your child would be an adult. If I were my mom, then right now, the oh child God. that I had would be an adult. Would be an adult. Yes. Yes. That's As what, to what? Could you imagine? Could you imagine having an adult child is what I'm saying? Could you imagine no, you? No, ever like, be, saying, saying that's my child, but they're also and it's 40. it's a grown ass yeah. person. No, I can't, I can't imagine that. I can't imagine it being a baby. I would rather it be an adult. It'd be great if we could just birth adults because then we don't have to worry about anything. We, you don't have to tell them anything. You could, they don't understand. You could say, go get that. And they get it right away. You know, cause I'm really yeah. only interested in his children as like, um, servants <laughs> who go and get things <laughs> grab me the remote i know the, the mom remote. you are go turn you're off the, the light and me. go look for my shoes that's what i you're think the is so great about from the, the other kids. side of the house yeah oh my god i'm not I know a parent you. though and so when i when i, I, I know go you to- i know you I know you're from my past. You're you're my aunt who called me from the other room to hand her something that was right next to her. You know what? I and I used to, you. I used listen, Miss Thing, pay it the hell forward because I had to do it, and now you're gonna have to do it too. And if you need to go and run and get some stuff for some people, because eventually you're gonna need somebody to hand something to your ass, and that's what we. You know what? On a serious note, I'll tell you on a serious. Let's make it serious. Mm. We will have to physically, financially, emotionally, and many other ways take care of our parents once we get Mm. to a certain age that they won't be able to walk or do things for themselves. Uh, You know, they will need help medically. They'll help need help making larger decisions. They won't be able to drive at a certain point. Then we need to be in charge of their housing. Um, and no one really said that to me at an, at any age. That alone is a, is a good enough reason for people to, once they become of adult age, really start thinking about their finances. And you know, they, oh, for people sure. do say you better get a job because you want to be able to have money to put away for a rainy day. Rainy day, I want to be able to make sure my mom is going to have something. My mom, my mom got my mom got sick at a at a very young age. My mother was in her late forties when she got sick my mother had a really rare form of pneumonia anyone who knows my mom lives on oxygen my mother is disabled so i do take care of my mom financially and like when i'm there physically and like helping her out with stuff my mother my mother can move around and do stuff on her own but she can't lift anything over like 10 pounds you know my mom went to college and got all these degrees but then she wasn't able to do the work because she was injured and disabled so yeah that is something that people do not talk about and i'm really lucky that i'm in a position where i can take care of my mom mm-hmm. shout out to mother my mother if you're listening my mom listens to everything i do so hey mom hey miss caldwell hey miss caldwell why am i why are you beyonce <laughs> <laughs> i know you're listening mom um and i'm, and I'm it is uh, but i will say though it has been one of the most rewarding things of my life to be able to take care of my mom to be able to like buy my mom stuff i bought my mom a house that's that's probably like the big I cannot believe I was able to I remember being a young kid and saying to my mom, I'm gonna buy you a big house one day. And um and I was able to do it. So that that feels really it really feels like a dream come true. Cause it is a dream come true. Society in the in the United States, American culture, haven't really um mainstreamed the idea of your parents become your dependents, you know? Yeah. Like officially. And they just they just do, you know. But you, but you know what? It was one of the things that you that you figure out in life. Just kind of like those young parents, 
you can hear about parenting. We all, a lot of us took the classes in school where you carried around the egg or that baby. Uh huh. I took, I carried baby, that damn egg around. Nothing will prepare you for, and I'm not a parent. I used to have this conversation with, with a past partner of mine, how mm-hmm. he would always be like, I'd be a great parent. I'd be like, baby, we don't know this. You do not know if you'll be a good parent. It is great to assume you probably will be, but you do not know. Some people do not know what, you don't know what parentinghood, you don't know what parenthood is until it drop kicks you in the chest. Parenthood is like, you know, 13th birthdays and registering for school and the first time they you know, rode a bike and the fight that they get getting shot, getting and... your kids shots, getting your kids vaccinated. Uh, yeah. Talking to your kid about their first crush, yeah. covering up the scraped up knees, um, getting your yeah. kid mental help, uh, uh, turning, finding out that your kid is, is self-harming. Um, yeah. It is, it is, it is your child being diagnosed with ADHD. It is your child being diagnosed um, with mm-hmm. bipolar, uh, with BPD. It is, it is your child, um, crying because they can't get a toy in the middle of a store i think a lot of people yelling i hate you in the middle of a walmart and you have to prepare yourself i mean it's almost it's impossible to prepare yourself i would imagine but you know i think thinking through those situations and like you know you know you never know what you're going to do but at least thinking through those situations and maybe in in those regards having a community to raise the the child and the and you know have input on the family is is beneficial because these days, you know, like you can't do it alone because the big thing that women, I think I remember women talking about and hearing them talk about was, you know, having to choose between a career or a, a family life and being a mother. Um, and, you know, which is a privilege itself because it, some women yeah. can't choose between raising kids. And have, my mom couldn't choose between raising kids and having a career. You know, one time someone said to my mom at, at school, this is, one, this is one of the comments that I hate. I hate when people say this next sentence. It okay. drives me crazy. Tell my mom, me what it is. My mom taught me to hate it. When people say, you take your job too serious. You take Ooh, your job get, too serious. That gets under my skin. My mom said, say, I remember someone they, said to my mom. Who says that? People say, like, when you're at, when you're at your job and you take it seriously and, and, and it's in, in, you're, you're doing your job is inconveniencing them. That's when they say you take your job too seriously. So no, but I mean, my mother. I, I understand the circumstances, but go ahead. Oh yeah, so my mom, my mom used to run the cyber lab, the cyber, the cyber lab, the computer lab at Morris Brown College in um, Atlanta, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And one, she was telling so- someone they couldn't do something they were doing, and then they're like, oh, "You shit. take your job too serious." She goes, "I take my job." She goes, "I have two sons, I have a dog, I have a three bedroom apartment, I have a car, and if I don't take my job seriously, all of that crumbles." So yeah. Yes, I do take my job very seriously. Now, back up and follow the rules, you know? Yeah. Well, you take your job too seriously. I do take my job very serious. I'm very serious about being being civil. Pep, I love you so much. And, you know, maybe maybe one day you and I will raise a child. I'd love to raise a child with you. But for now, we're going to give special thanks to all of our listeners. If you like this podcast, please, please, please share it. Make sure you comment on whatever, uh, whatever... service you're listening on and share it and and help us get the word out we're really excited to gear up to a larger audience for season two a special thanks to our production team charlene westbrook tracy marquez amelia ritzholler Corey nixon and music by lefem bear um thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week yeah Grand Canyon University, an affordable private Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering more than 270 programs online 
In addition to federal grants and aid, GCU's online students received nearly $130 million in institutional scholarships in 2022. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private, Christian, affordable. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you may qualify for.